Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Hospitality TV. Today we're doing our first ever Hospitality TV roundtable discussion, which happens to be a panel of all females, which I'm super pumped that it worked out that way, um, many of whom I've known for several years and who I've looked up to for quite some time as well. So I'm really excited to do this one. Um, I was going to let them introduce themselves, but I feel like they're going to be way too humble, so I'm going to take the lead on this um, and tell you who we have today. So to my left, we have Chef uh, Claudette Zepeda-Wilkins. She is the current uh, executive chef and partner at El Jardin Restaurant that's opened up in Point Loma, um, the former chef de cuisine at Bercero by Javier Placencia in San Diego. Um, she has, well, amongst other things, she is uh, currently San Diego Eaters People of the Year 2018. Jess ranked on Esquire Magazine as one of the top restaurants in the country, which we're super excited about that. Congrats, Chef. She's been on publications like Food and Wine, Life and Time, and recently on an episode of The Migrant Kitchen, which I saw the other day. Super special episode, so please uh, take a moment and check it out if you can. It's really, really cool. To her left, we have Frances Teraoka. She is a digital marketing specialist with Fox 5 News San Diego. Um, also, the owner and founder of Food with Francis, which is a really cool food and wine blog here in San Diego. Uh, make sure to check that out as well. To my right, Ms. Tammy Wong, Rockstar Sommelier, uh, opening wine director for uh, Richard Blaze, Juniper and Ivy. Um, during that time, too, she was named Wine and Spirits Best New Sommelier. Um, which is pretty awesome. Now, uh, moving on to the sales side, she represents a couple wine books. She, is, uh, she runs a show called Wine and Tammy Time, which you should definitely check that out as well. Uh, somewhere in her free time, works for Stillion Vineyards in Escondido County as well. Um, has become uh, an overall general spokeswoman for San Diego wines in general, so, which is pretty rad. Oh, not to mention, um, I don't want to forget, she's one of the organizers for Net Diego, which is a festival for uh, revolving around. Uh, <laughs> you forgot about that one. <laughs> the festival revolving around uh, natural wines here in San Diego, which has been really fun. I think they've done two of them already, so uh, really, really cool. And last, certainly not least, uh, Miss Laura Johnson. She is the founder and head distiller at You and Yours Distillery in downtown San Diego. Um, recently uh, named on the Forbes list for 30 under 30, which is pretty badass. Congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> Still can't really believe it. <laughs> Founder and content curator for distillerista.com, which is a really cool little blog on um, uh, distillation and other spirits. Um, so she's been rocking too, so we're glad to have everybody in today. Welcome, thank you so much. Uh, if this is your first time watching, I just wanted to take a quick moment and tell you kind of where the show came from. The whole background and the momentum that we're getting with this is to um, be able to collaborate with people in the hospitality industry, uh, not just in San Diego, but anywhere where we can get good people who have something to contribute. Um, but it also comes from a place where um, we're trying to provide good um, content for people so that they can learn from other people's mistakes, see what have uh, led people to become successful in their own craft, and try to hopefully in some way get that uh, content out to people so that they can learn on their own. So uh, we've been very fortunate to have everybody here uh, for that purpose. Um, you know, I'll start off with, my, with myself and kind of the reason why this came around too is I think one of the reasons I started doing this is I was working at a neighborhood wine bar uh, coming fresh out of Addison for two and a half years, thinking I knew everything about you know service, went in to operate a wine bar and didn't really know that much about uh, the operations of running a business. Really kind of blew it, to be honest. Um, when looking back on it now, running, running the most ridiculous you know, retail wine program with a corkage fee, with a place that had zero volume and wondering why we weren't making any money. Um, 
from there I went to Bracero and I got to work under Woody, who was the general manager at the time. And I actually got to learn about operations, running a successful wine program, um, what that meant, managing people, emotional intelligence. I still have a long way to go, or else this would be the Raphael Peterson show, <laughs> not Hospitality TV. That's why I'm uh, you know, looking to other people to kind of help us with that. But you know, that being said, um, I'm going to start with you, Claudette, if it's okay. But I think, you know, even looking at the time in Bracero, after going through that process and having so many good people in place, you know, unfortunately, the, the restaurant still didn't stay above water, um, as most people know if you're here in San Diego. And now you've moved on to a different restaurant of your own, which is doing very well. And I'm just wondering if you would share with us kind of how you went from that step, which can be very disheartening for a lot of people and able to move forward into creating your own restaurant now? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a weird path that you have to go on and it took a journey, like the 12 steps of grief almost, you know, and then you, at the end of it, you, you can't help but have your past shape your future um, in a good way. You can let it define you or you can let it help build. Um, and it became the foundation of uh, the pro-con list, I called it. I had a list running of everything great that happened, everything bad that happened, and everything that I would utilize in the new project. And uh, building El Jardin, I knew it had to be about the people, uh, the people we honored and the people um, running the restaurant. So I didn't look at it as a business. I looked at it as a living organism. Yeah. Um, and that changed, it, my, my management style changed, I became more holistic, I'm a mom, uh, you know, of two teenagers, and I knew my, my employees were just a few years older than my kids. So I knew my leadership style had to change, and I knew um, the ebbs and flows of San Diego during the winter are awful. You know, we aren't, we're a tourist city, but we are also located in a very tourist-driven market in Liberty Station. Um, so I knew that had to be something that I had to be able to flow with that I couldn't stick to my like high labor because you know I had to I have the footprint yeah. I had to be able to be flexible um, and the number one thing was um, stick to your guns and like I, I knew that when I opened the menu the menu was not going to be comfortable for everyone in San Diego I knew I was going to get feedback of like this isn't Mexican you're not Mexican and you know it's I, I, I used to get offended by it and now I kind of laugh and I just is like okay I'm still going to do it I don't waver in my, well, this week we change it, and this now we're open lunch, and then, no, now we're open one more hour. No, now we're going to take back an hour. We stick to our guns. And I always, I asked Johan when he put this on the table, I said, you got to give me one year, one year of just doing what I think is right, and if at one year we're still not successful, I will eat that shit sandwich, and we will move forward and change. <laughs> but <laughs> we have to do it approach you with, year. like, a, a different, somewhat of a different concept originally? Yeah, it was Bahamed. Mm -hmm. um, the logo was different, the concept was different, and you know, I flipped it on its head a little bit, and I, I came back from Top Chef Mexico with just this huge just inspiration and what Mexico could be, what a Mexican restaurant in the United States could be. Um, and I mean, it was a, a low, uh, learning and like growth process for him too, because he had always been used to only doing his opinion, his ideas, his design, mm -hmm. and here you know, comes along this girl he had never met and saying, yeah, but let's scratch that, do this, put this on the walls. And, you know, and he designs all the restaurants. And I asked him one day, I said, do you, can I put my input in the design? Yeah. And it was a little bit of a give and take. And we've, we've come a very long way. And a lot of it was compromised. And like, it was funny, we went to, we were in Guadalajara doing a design trip. And 
everything he was looking at. And I was like, no, no, that's tacky. No, <laughs> no. I just kept saying no to everything. And then he kept saying no, no to everything I was doing. We walked into a furniture store and we both grabbed the chair. And it was one of those like stepbrothers moments. I was like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> yup. Um, and that was a turning of the corner for us um, as a working relationship to be able to understand our aesthetics. And it has translated into everything in the restaurant. And it has a very authentic feel to it. Thank like, you. It really feels comfortable. It doesn't thank feel you. forced or, I mean, it feels really good in there. I spend more time there. My employees spend more, I spend more time with my employees in that space than my own home and my children. So it was very important to me to be able to, I'm the hostess with the mostest at my house. So when my friends and my family comes to my restaurant, you're coming to my house. And I want it to feel like you can, you know, take, literally I've had a customer take his shoes off because they said this is supposed to be like the chef's house. <laughs> so he took his shoes off and put them on the purse tree. You know, and the purse tree was made by my husband and everything, all these things that it's, it makes, who, it makes us who we are. Yeah. It gives you that feeling of like, okay, you're coming to your aunt's house, the grandma you wish you had, or the grandma that you love visiting. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to do. What do you think um, was one of the biggest lessons that you took with you after Bracero that you wanted to learn from and kind of apply into the next project? I think the biggest lesson for me was just be true to me, you know, and be able to stick up for me, myself. You know, I, when you aren't given a platform and aren't given a voice as a female, as a woman in, in the industry, it's disheartening. And, you know, and I never want to pull that female card, but it is something that we live with and it's true. Um, I got called an asshole. Um, the guy next to me is called a great leader. You know, I get called, but it's always that double standard. So now I learn to stick up for myself when someone says I'm being too harsh. It's like, well, no, you're not being hard enough. And there's a means to an end and there's a time to be strict and there's a time to be have fun. But just have like the courage of conviction to want to do it and like just stick to your guns and our gut instinct, the female gut instinct, I think is one of the most, is my true north. I always follow my gut. Yeah. And it's something that some people will say is the dumbest thing, but it's never failed me. Well, so. yeah, look where you are now. I think, you know, and I think I failed to mention at the beginning, but one of the themes surrounding today's discussion was, you know, opening up a business in the niche market. And I think that it speaks incredibly highly of you to have the guts to after a big project like that didn't really succeed. Um, you stuck to your guns and you went on to build what you always had the vision of, of this truly authentic regional Mexican cuisine, which is, you know, it's paying dividends now. So that's pretty badass. Um, Laura, I wanted to jump to you next because you have such a cool story too. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> <Revolve>. I thought... <laughs> Were you ready? I thought I was going last again. <laughs> no, I just remember hearing like how you were getting ready to open up the distillery downtown and, you know, some stories of traveling around the country and just trying to absorb as much as you can there. And I mean, I'm sure you must have had some similar struggles opening a distillery as the first female distiller in San Diego. Um, can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, I mean, looking back now, I, I joke that I kind of like blacked out for a few years, not, not from drinking, but, um, but just from like putting my head down and being so blindly convicted that I had something worthy of executing and just like putting my head down and getting it done and um, and like really blacked like I can't like remembering trying to remember those years of like hard work and just kind of figuring it out like it's hard to like bring out actual stories and like moments from that time but I don't know I just 
I got out of college and I'd studied international business and economics and always had like a very entrepreneurial spirit, knew that I wanted to have a business of my own at some point in life. Um, definitely didn't think that it would be in the liquor business at 22, but um, I don't know. I just, I didn't know what else I wanted to do after graduation, but I knew I had this interest in distilling and my boyfriend at the time, now fiance and business partner and you and yours was like, go like follow that, follow that path or like follow that interest. And he found me my first um, distilling course online, like just sitting on the couch one night, um, the semester before I was about to graduate, and I signed up for it and like walked across the stage, got my diploma. The next day, I was on a plane to go like try out distilling wow, that's crazy. <laughs> at um, a distillery up in Washington State, and it was just kind of all over from there. I um, it was a bit of an interesting experience that first distilling course, um, but ultimately, like kind of came out of it feeling like okay, if these gentlemen can do this and, and um, you know, have a substantial amount of regional market share, I can absolutely crush this. Were there any female so that, distillers that you ran into during that whole time or anybody that um, you really got inspired from? There were definitely a few that I, there were a few that like I knew of kind of at the time, like very few that I knew of but never really quite got close enough to meet or, or interact with. Like at that time, I think this is four years ago, going, going on four or five years ago now, like, and even today, craft distilling, you know, small batch distilling, whatever you want to call it, was still so nascent as a concept, as an industry, that there just weren't that many people for me to go to and learn from. I mean, the fact that um, it was so hard to find a distillery that was like, A, well enough established to, to you know, even be able to have people come in and, and learn and, and B, have an internship program or um, an education program and then C, actually like be willing to take a chance on, on me because you know, this is, definitely isn't what you think of when you think of a distiller. Um, so it was tough. I spent like 10 months after graduation just like Googling and traveling and like immersing myself in the industry every way shape form I could think of and one of those ways was just like doing what everyone else was doing at the time Which was oh, I'm gonna start a blog <laughs> um, Even though I have no idea what I'm talking about. I just I wanted to create like a space for myself I wanted to put it in the universe that I was like here and interested in this thing and to start even though it was like Totally fabricated at the beginning. I wanted to start creating some authority for myself in in the space and um, yeah, I'm definitely off topic a question now, but um, yeah, I just, I knew I had to do it and uh, ended up like, I came back to San Diego, I really wanted a, a job in distilling, I wanted to continue getting um, experience on the actual production side of things and it was really hard to find a place that was, um, you know, well enough established, had an open position, would take a chance on me. And once I realized that that wasn't going to happen, I just kind of took a step back and was like, okay, like, fuck it, let's do this myself. <laughs> and um, that's when I like finished the business plan and was like, okay, let's raise capital and start looking for places to put it and let's let's just do it. And I'll learn everything else along the way, I hope. <laughs> were you getting any negative feedback once you guys were open or was everybody pretty excited behind you that you were doing this or what was the feedback from the from I have the to say it was, it was pretty incredible. I was blown away and still am to this day. I mean, I wake up every day and pinch myself at the um, just positive response and support from not only the San Diego community, but um, other distillers in the industry, especially like female distillers and other women in this wine and spirits industries. And, I wonder um, if that has anything to do with your incredible amount of positivity that you always carry <laughs> around with yourself. <laughs> that's, very, that's very sweet. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just, I'm, I, I don't know how it happened, but I, I just I have so much conviction behind you and yours and what I'm doing and what we're trying to do and, and where we're going and how we're growing and what we want to do in the future. And um, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate. I, I 
very fortunate. I, it, I don't take it for granted how um, just, I guess, easy it is for me to just keep going. Like, yeah. I, I was never swayed. I just had, like, this blind conviction that I, I really couldn't tell you where it comes from. <laughs> well, I think, and I think we're kind of missing out on a very important part, too, of what you did. It's not just a distillery, but you're tasting. You essentially, first of all, have a tasting room yeah. that is gorgeous. And, again, it's super comfortable. You can tell that you put a lot of thought into that. And I think we spoke about that briefly, too. Yeah. Um, like, where did your inspiration come behind that to add that incredible aspect of hospitality to a tasting room and a distillery. For sure. I, Claudette, I resonated so much with what you were saying about you want it to feel like you and you want it to feel like your home and um, you know, you and yours at the end of the day, it's an incredible team effort. We wouldn't be where we are without, you know, the uh, tons of people um, behind it. But at the end of the day, it is a direct reflection of me and my vision for the company and the space. And so um, while I was traveling, while I was kind of just immersing myself in the industry, um, what I came across visiting distilleries, what I came across was um, just a real kind of disconnect between um, quality product and a quality experience that matched that. So maybe there were distillers or operations that had delicious product that were really doing things the right way and making stuff that was um, worthy of, um, you know, discussion and exalting, but didn't really have like um, a tasting room t to speak of, or if they did, it was like a, just a, a shack. It was an afterthought, um, and that kind of, it, for me, I've. Um I, I remember telling you, like, I've never actually worked in the restaurant industry. I, I wish I had, but um, been a, a, a like very passionate consumer of dining <laughs> um, for most of my life, and so I knew that um, a hospitality component was going to be a big part of you and yours. And um, I, I just, I really wanted to create this space that um, was worthy of the spirits themselves. And so, what we're all about at you and yours is, um, you know, we put an equal amount of thought and love and effort into not only the quality of our spirits, but um, how we make you feel when you walk in the door and, and how you feel when you walk out. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Tammy, I want to talk to you about opening Juniper and Ivy because I remember I used to look at that list online when you guys first put it out. Mm -hmm. It was so exciting to see somebody doing something so different. Um, and I wonder too what struggles you had in opening up the restaurant with such an eclectic list um, and how you dealt with that. Um, I think a lot, of, I just, I'm going to piggyback on both what Claudette and Laura have said is that it's being conviction and standing your ground and knowing that, you know, because of, you know, I started at third corner. I was the first server hired there. And then when I got my first wine buyer job, I tasted all kinds of wine. Like I had four tasting appointments four four days a week. And I knew I trust my palate and I know it's good wine and I know what people should drink. And so just having that core of knowing that even though this is weird, it's delicious. And if I can con communicate properly and make my guests feel comfortable and make them feel happy and, and not be like the snotty sommelier that's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just to not be that and to, um, you know, and I, it helps that they wanted the best list in town and they empowered me to make the choices that I thought was right. And they said, yeah, do whatever you want, we just want the best. 
And so, you know, I kind of started with the categories and then I chose like from my years of tasting what I knew were the best ones. And then I would, and I think part of having an eclectic list, um, a lot of it is, you know, you have people that only drink Chardonnay or only drink Pinot Noir and they don't want to venture out. And so, you know, you have those wines for those people, but, the, but most of the time, if you can communicate your, my passion, if I can say, you have to try this Blaufrankisch, this is the most delicious thing ever, they'll at least taste it and maybe it's not their thing, but then we can steer them to someone else, right. something else, you know? So I think that, you know, standing your ground and making people feel comfortable and knowing that I was doing the right thing and I was doing something really cool. Um, I've always been driven by my desire to bring respect to San Diego as a wine destination, because it's not. There's still a, real, a lot of really horrible lists out there, and it's because people don't, they either don't care or they don't know, and they don't want to trust someone that does care and know. Or maybe they just don't see how it fits financially into their restaurant model, I don't know, whatever. But we're, we're coming along. We've got a new crop of Psalms that are coming up, which is really great. I'm so proud of like, all the people that are coming up, like you, you're doing great things born and raised. That's really cool, right? Um, but it's, I've always been driven to bring respect to San Diego. And then part of that is, you know, first as a salmon, like writing a cool wine list. And then, but the other part of that is you can't just put weird stuff on the list and like think that people are gonna order it because they're not. Right. You know, you think of things, oh, this is gonna, it's gonna sell. It's No, it's not gonna sell. You have to sell it. Like selling is active. You have to engage your staff and get your staff excited. Like, oh my God, this one is, and have that kind of attitude of discovery, not like, oh, you don't know about this? It's, oh my God, I just discovered this thing. It's so cool, you've got to try it. And it always works. Like people are always excited about something if you can communicate, like this is a great thing, just try it, yeah. you know? So I think, and I think too, what helped with Juniper and Ivy is that I think that Blaze's style of cooking and the kind of food that they were making with liquid nitrogen and all the cool stuff they were doing is adventurous. And I think that it kind of attracts a more adventurous diner. You know, I think in a steakhouse it might be more challenging because right. you have more of the people that want, you know, a big chuck of beef and a cap, right. you know. So um, that was definitely um, an example. Um, that was a cool thing. It helps. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but as far, you know, opening restaurants is just so hard. It's so hard. You don't sleep. You don't eat. You over-caffeinate, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, but, you know, if you have the right team and, you, and you're in in it together that it makes it worthwhile and if you're able to put together something that's really delicious and for people to get it it's so rewarding yeah no that's amazing and i mean it's super interesting too like when you're doing like basically hand-to-hand -hand combat right you have somebody in front of you that you can like mm -hmm. okay you're gonna not force the wine on somebody but you know if it's for them and you think it's for them you can be successful because you have them right in front of you. Um, from there, I mean, you've done so many things, but now I know that you're really pushing um, kind of the wine movement and culture in San Diego. Mm -hmm. You're really at the forefront of it. Yeah. Um, and this is where I'm super excited to get Francis involved a little bit too, because there's so many different takes on like, you can promote a single restaurant versus like promoting a whole scene, like a wine scene, right? And it takes a lot. It's not just one thing or one establishment. You really kind of almost create a movement. Um, what have been some things that have helped you to do that now? Like, where do you think 
Um, I know you've been, you know, reaching out to a lot of buyers and getting them involved in events and kind of having big tastings. We went to one at, um, at Costera with Maurice that was really cool. Mm -hmm. He had all the San Diego wineries out there, which I think was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. But what things like that have you, like, taken with you, like, getting the momentum of being successful at Juniper and Ivy and, and having left there and done some other things and now to kind of promoting San Diego as a whole? Um, what do you think has been successful for you there? And, Francis, feel free to jump in at any time with, like, using media, digital and traditional, to kind of help create a movement like that? Well, it's still hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's mm -hmm. still me meeting with one buyer and trying to win that one buyer. And then that buyer, like, puts, you know, the Stelion Grenache Blanc on by the glass, and then people will drink it. And there's the problem with San Diego is, you know, I was one of the, you know, big buyers in San Diego. I didn't know, I knew nothing about San Diego wine. There are 116 wineries in San Diego County. Temecula is Riverside County. Like, it's a completely different deal. And so I think that there is a disconnect between what's going on in wine country and what's happening in the restaurants down here. And there's not someone making the connection, which is what I'm kind of trying to do. Um, and just to, you know, that trade tasting was really great to, like, at least, like, expose people to it. And there's a lot of challenges still with wine in San Diego because there is a lot of quality issues. I mean, it's an emerging region. We have a lot to learn. Um, we don't know what's going to grow well here. You know, we don't know our good vineyard sites. Like, the Highland Valley was planted in 2007, right? And there's a lot of really promising things coming out of there. And it could, like, in the next generation, it could be, like, a Grand Cru-type site. We don't know. We won't know until the next generation. We don't know what's going to grow well here. And so... What I'm excited about is being an early adopter and befriending the winemakers and like trying to make the connections with the winemakers and you know folks like you and, and buyers and trying to get everyone together and you know so we can give winemakers their feedback like ooh man you over oak that you know yeah. and just to <laughs> like, quit brewing Cabernet Sauvignon and quit oaking the crap out of it just stop it we're not it's not going to work. Um, but I think that, you know, it's hand, you know, it's hand to hand combat. Like I am reaching people individually and it's just like being at a table and trying to sell someone, you know, fee agree, like here, you just have to taste it, you know? And then as far as, you know, social media, like I, I don't know how much my wine and tea every time videos work, but people like them. Yeah. And it's great. really, you I mean, know, they're very personal and they're real. Right. And like you have a ton of knowledge to share. Like I love those. Yeah. Yeah. And they're quick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I started doing that because one of the books that I represent hadn't had a rep in two years in San Diego, and while many of the brands are well known in the rest of California, nobody knew what they were, and so I did it just so people would start being familiar with the brands, and then at the same time, I'll throw in a little something about, you know, this is the soil, like, you know, Riospicious and Galicia has granite, and it's cool, you know, stuff, little things like that, so, you know, you can pick up a little something, and it, and it expands wine knowledge in general. Yes. You do the social media for both yourself and for the restaurant, right? Have you noticed anything, like, has anything been really successful for you and how you run that page? I mean, do you kind of seek out other consultants to help you with that? Um, I have uh, one of my employees that's kind of doing an internship just recently, doing more of the social media, training her to what our voice is, because I'm really particular and really sensitive about what the voice is of the restaurant. Yeah. It has to be me. Like, when I hear the word authentic Mexican, it means nothing to anyone that's not Mexican. That, that word doesn't exist. And, you know, like, oh, when I have a... And it's not, that, like, it's not me being a jerk. It's just like, well, you have your ideas, but for me, authentic means authentically me. 
traditional to my traditions. Mm -hmm. to, it's very personal. So my social media page is very, it has to have a voice of like, of teaching, of educating what Mexico is. I put out a post of an ingredient and like the history of it. And if I have Fideo Seco, it's not because it's not Mexican. It's because it comes from, in 1890, the Italians landed in, and I know everything. And mm -hmm. I am educated the same way we, you know, Tammy talks about wine or you talk about any sort of distillation that but you're passionate about. For me, it's, they can't tell me I'm wrong when I'm super well informed. Mm -hmm. They can't tell my staff that right. they don't know when they're informed. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm the queen of one-liners on TV, um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm just, I'm never wavering in my convictions when it comes to what, something I'm passionate about. Right. So same with what I, you know, I did in the restaurant, I do on social media, it's always me. Yeah. You know, it, and I fall on my face more times than not. Um, and, you know, I have Circle K coffee for breakfast on a daily basis. And people think I'm insane. But I get up at 6 o'clock to take two teenagers that are usually in a bad mood to school. Yeah. <laughs> so Circle K coffee and a coffee cake, that's, that's my reality. Yeah. So on social media, I am authentically fucking me. Like, I, I, I curse. I'm, I'm a hot mess half the time. Um, and I think people appreciate that. You know, I always laugh at people. Like, I... In this festival I just did in Mexico City, the students were like, like gobsmacked when I was saying hi to all these sky chefs. And I turned around, I was like, dude, they're mortal. They take a dump just like you. <laughs> like, they are not untouchable. They're not gods. Like, we have to come back to the fact that at the end of the day, we cook. We're servants, all of us. Like, yeah. we are here to provide a service to people that give us money and we have to make their to make experience. people happy. Yeah, like, yeah. we're not holier yeah. than thou. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not too good. You know, I yeah. still schlep shit back and forth in my restaurant. <laughs> I bust tables. And, you know, that's, some, again, back to the question. Social media is always going to be 100% authentically us. Yeah. Authentically genuine. Yeah. Francis, I know you've dealt with a lot of people who've come through, like, seeking you guys uh, um, to be you know, clients of yours, and what have been some of the best practices that you've seen these guys, like, that have really worked for them, or on the flip side, maybe where you've seen a lot of opportunity and things that they could have been doing that they haven't been doing? Um, I think, like, what Claudette is doing is awesome, just being authentically yourself. I think people love some sort of personality mm -hmm. and um, just wanting to know you better. Uh, it doesn't really work when it's just, like, a product and there's nothing nothing to it, there's no story behind it. I always think it's important that there's some sort of story behind it. Mm -hmm. So people personally can kind of be like, oh, this this happened to me in my life sort of thing. And I could totally relate to this person. I'm gonna follow her, I feel like I know her. I mean, even through my blog, people people already know me. I'll, I, I remember when I- I feel I like I get to see restaurants <laughs> by following your blog. Like you post so much on your stories to all cool. the spots that you go to. Like it gives me, I literally have a list of places, like, okay, I gotta go there, I have to check that spot out. Like. It's cool. Like it, it makes it feel like I'm going along with you. Well, some well, when I first started, my biggest mistake was I posted some things that I would never eat, um, <laughs> and actually people caught caught on to that, saying, "Why are you eating here? You would never eat here," sort of thing. So that was my mistake. I feel I feel like a lot of times people who are following you know you better than you do. So I've just been trying to be careful um, in what I'm posting and whatnot. So I think just being yourself. Um, I see a lot of clients just kind of posting their product and that's about it, or just posting their reviews. I think it's really important to include video a lot of times and stories are becoming huge this year. Um, I think it's, as opposed to a static post, 21.5% more people are engaging in videos. Um, so I think IGTV is gonna be huge next year as well. So if you guys include that, that would be great. Um, 
yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it. So I think being relatable is really important in social yeah. media because again, on social media, it can look like we have a very glamorous life, and you don't see that you miss flights, that the airports <laughs> suck, that you come out of the plane smelling like crap. Like, it's very glamorous to see traveling people, you know. And oh, I wish I was. At, no, it sucks. Like, I'm away from my family. It's cold. The hotel sucks. Like, the food, my stomach is ruined. Like, this is the reality that people right. want, I think, is important to show because, again, we're just mere mortals. Like, we're struggling just the same as everyone else is, and we're hustling. And I love when people tell me that they're proud of me and they have no idea who I actually, you know, they don't know me, but they tell me that. I think that's really important for me because, and especially to teach my daughter and my son, it's like, just always be you and have a have a goal have a vision in life don't just wander around like i think it's really important to teach like if you have a goal no matter where you came up from you know 10 years ago i was on welfare like that's just my truth that's my reality um so it's like that put your head down and fucking just work yeah. don't ask for handouts don't expect nothing from anyone because everyone's always going to watch their own back first right. And then that translates to a lot of people that have the, that, the same story as us. And, oh, okay, well, if they did it, I could do it. You know, someone coming out of college, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to start I'm going to start something on my own. You know, it's like, why not? I mean, the worst that can happen is you don't succeed at 22. Do it again. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah it's like, yeah. it's fine. It's not I mean, a failure. It's an no. attempt. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I think the story part I was like, part if this is... doesn't work out, I'll go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what do I have to lose? <laughs> it's, a, it's such a cool thing to, like, what you're saying about the story part and the story behind somebody. I, mean, I, I literally, I remember listening to a podcast of yours. I think it was with the specialty produce ladies. Um, but I was embarrassed after I heard that because I worked with you for like a year and you had shared some really kind of personal things about um, how you came up and with your family and... and I was like, man, like I literally went to work and my pre-shift was about like whatever you guys do. Like I'm not talking about food or wine or anything. Like when you guys come in here, look at the person who's next to you and ask them about how they got here, what, where they used to work at. Like just ask them random questions. A lot of time we just get caught up in like, hey, how's it going? How you doing? You good? Cool. What'd you do last night? Like you, and I walked away after a year and I, had, I really, I realized I had no idea what you went through to get to that point. Um, and I mean, that's part of the cool thing about this too. If we can get more people's stories behind it, talk about being relatable, you can really, you know, click on a couple of things that that'll spark something for somebody. And it's really, uh, it's really cool. Laura, you were telling me a little bit about, um, you know, how you guys are using an outside team for your business, right? And how some of the things have been really, you've seen a, a, a big advantage in using outside people. For sure. We have a, a PR firm that helps us. They do all of our media outreach, like influencer relations, and they do most of our social media. Um, and I think that you don't necessarily have to have a PR company, but it was it was something that was important to me because I knew that that's a nothing that I'm really passionate or, about or interested in, but I knew that it was a necessary part of launching a new business, especially a new business where half the battle is education and like e explaining to people what you actually are. Like, you know, everyone's still like, oh, the, the brewery. I'm like, no, 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 like similar, but you know, we don't, we don't make different. Yeah. Yeah, we don't make beer, we make spirits. And so for me, it was really important to, to have that component to our team. Um, it, the one thing I will say is that um, Robin, who, who does all of it, she has her um, her own firm called Our Public Relations, and she's actually not local. She used to be here in San Diego, but um, is now based in Boston. And um, but but the thing that we did is like we've known each other for years and so she knew me we had mutual friends she knew about you and yours she knew the story she knew every single detail before we even had a lease and so while i think it's important to have a 
um, if you want to go that route where you want to have a PR team and, and, and kind of outsource that, great. But make sure that they really, like Claudette was saying, they really know your voice mm -hmm. and they know your business and they know um, like what your goals are and, and know what your product is. And, and um, because it's so important to make sure that every single tiny piece of content that's going out there is authentic and is real and is going to be a true representation of your brand. And so, um, yeah, I think I was telling you the other day, like that's the best check I write every month is to <laughs> our PR team. Like I seal it with a kiss because they just do such a good job and, and we owe so much, um, I think of the, the not I mean success, but um, I, I think we owe a lot of um, just the, the exposure that we've been fortunate enough to have to Robin and her team. So it's, yeah. been, it's been a great thing for you and yours. It's a marriage of sorts. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, always tweaking back and forth. And, you know, like, they're, they'll, they'll post something. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, we don't actually have that cocktail on the menu <laughs> yeah. like, anymore. Yeah. Like, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. Yeah. I know. Um, but, you know, we're all human, and, and, it, and it works. And, yeah. yeah. But it, it's fun. <laughs> Ladies, I want to open up the floor a little bit. Do you have anything that you'd like to ask each other since you're, we have you here at one, in one spot, in one place? Just wanted to throw it out there. Well, I'm a huge fan of natural wines. And so I, for me also with, I mean, maybe it's just me being a control freak. Like every time I say, they talk about the restaurant, I'm like, geez, I gotta like relinquish some of it. But it's it's so personal to me. It's like, yeah, it's literally like blood, sweat and tears, literal. Like down to, I became the construction project manager, you know? So when they would put in an outlet here, I'd go in and I'd fight with the guys. And then it was a five month conversation of, do you want gas on your grill? It's like, no, like, no, I, if you guys can't start a fire without gas, I question all of you, like, <laughs> like those conversations. Um, but when it came down to the wine list and the cocktail program, it was really important for me because there's always a disconnect between the food and the drinks. And it was super important for the garden to be involved in the drinks and the wine, you know, I mean, I taste, I worked with Molly and we tasted 70 different wines and it was, has to be a small list. Like, 14 it started with um, and now I don't have anyone really helping me and I know but I know what I like so it's like I don't put anything on the menu that I don't eat because I, ha I have a really hard time selling it or even training people I'm like it tastes like shit but sell it you know like how could you so with wine I'm a huge natural wine geek so I started that part of the list and we're actually having kind of good success but I have no idea like what direction that it is in because it's stuff that I like to drink. I don't know if it's any good, like to the general public, mm -hmm. but um, I'm just really fascinated by the whole natural wine movement. So I don't know if you could ever do like a training for chefs. So I want to get my first level. I, I want to like, if you could like for my cook staff, like all my cooks, are part of the um, training for front of house too, because we have a hand in front of house. Like we run food, we talk about food, we describe it when we land. Um, my lines, line cooks, sous chefs, everyone. Um, how would you like turn that corner where you can make natural wines? I feel like it's so, it's so scary for a lot of people that have only ever served, you know, very conventional like reds, whites, sparklings to do natural. Because I hear the word funky, and I always tell myself, no, no, no. Don't use yeah. things that people use, like cheese is funky. And yeah. usually that in your brain, you go, oh, it smells really bad. Yeah. So I'm like, don't use yeah. those, those words, those trigger words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Vocabulary yeah. is very so, important. Yes. So like how, it would be cool to have like, experts come in and like teach them some other, because I just te teach them how, how I would describe it. Um, 
but have like some legitimacy behind it of like, okay, it's not just crazy chef telling you that it's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've always had this fantasy of doing like a wine 101 for back of the house because it's, 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 a, it's a marriage, right? Food and wine, they're better together. And so, I mean, I would love to do that. That'd be super fun. But in terms of selling natural wine, um, it's, it was surprising how big Nat Diego went off. And social media was a major thing. We've, we did all our social media, mostly Chelsea Coleman and I, and then the other three people on our team. Um, but that's, that's all that we've done in terms of marketing, and it was, we're really successful with it. It really helped. But in terms of like teaching people to talk about wine, um, and about natural wine, um, I think going back to the story, like, hey, you know, there's 140 different things that you can add to wine that don't have to be listed because of, you know, whatever, USDA, whatever. Um, so, you know, these, these are like farm-to-table wines, right? So the, the grower and the winemaker are much closer and it's healthier. And um, I think that I would like emphasize like the, like the fruit flavors and the flavors of the wine and how like I've got this wine it's really great with this dish you know and to and that would help your you know your servers like converse with the guests right. you know and to like go with like oh this tastes like this and it was grown here and it's low sulfur and and there's all kinds of ways you can talk about it. It's I just think the, the same as anything not picking. I think the food and wine got to be the best thing, especially if yeah. we're talking about a restaurant, because I think yeah. you might approach it uh, differently if it were at a retail wine shop that didn't have food, and you're really going to have the wine by itself versus right. actually enjoying it, how the customer's going to enjoy it. Right. We've been very successful recently, too. We did a couple dessert wine classes where I did one when we first opened, mm -hmm. and we did one recently where we actually brought out all the desserts and tried the dessert wines with the desserts that they're recommended oh, yeah. pairings go with sure. and these guys are like it's just been night and day the yeah. difference and they're and they're excited because they're not like trust me the tokai goes well with the carrot cake mm -hmm. they're like now you can see their eyes glow like oh my god that's delicious and they get it and that's all it takes they don't need to talk about i mean if they have time sure they can go into the history of tokai but i think what sells much more is you seeing somebody's face light up yeah. being like dude i had that that pairing last week and it was amazing i'm like yeah i'll take one of those Getting people excited like that is, is a huge part. Yeah, let me know if you guys do that. I'm going to be a little fly on the wall. Yeah. I want to see that go down. <laughs> well, same with like the you and yours, Jen. So I was, all my wine list is made on stories. And it's probably like the worst thing for every rep that comes into our <laughs> restaurant because they, they deal with me. And they don't want to deal with me. They want to deal with a bartender, or a bar manager. They want to deal with someone that speaks their language. And I speak the language of food and I think there's a connection, but a lot of these reps come in wanting to sell their agenda, right. and I literally turn them around, and I'm like, come back when you have something worth it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not putting mm -hmm. Patron on the list. I'm not doing this. I know, I know how this shit is made. I'm from Jalisco. I know how tequila was made. No. Mm -hmm. I know there's only five families making worthy shit. Mm -hmm. Everything else is garbage. And I, I have very, that conviction is like good and bad, right? But... Uh, so appreciated. Like, <laughs> you should be excited like, about that yeah. to like be able it's to like a find for them. something yeah. like, oh my god, you're gonna dig this because of this story. Yeah. As someone who makes a product and puts so much time and thought yeah. into it, of like, which ingredient should I use and how are we gonna get here and how am I gonna get this flavor profile to turn out? Like that, that makes me light up because there's someone out there who's you know demanding that and yeah. making sure that nothing that goes on their list or their menu is um, is just there. Like there's intention behind everything, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. so cool. Very I mean, excited. the you and yours, Jen, you could drink it on ice with like a ceviche and you're good because the, those flavor profiles, like right now we're featuring the winter mm -hmm. and we'll do the summer closer to when it gets a little bit hotter. But mm -hmm. it's really those all those flavors are in our garden. 
Yes. Like I literally can pull them all out. I'm like, yep, kefir, lemongrass, mm-hmm. all those, the smells, the flavors, how it makes you feel mm-hmm. are in our garden. So that's when we do that full circle. It's like, don't add anything to it. Don't cocktail it up. Just leave it. Mm-hmm. Like things should stand on their own. Like my mm-hmm. mole, you could, I could literally serve it on its own or that, yes. that ceviche is just the fish and lime juice. That's it. Like you don't need to touch it. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly. like the minimalist Japanese method. And they don't, you don't put that together with Mexican food. You always put it very overworked with crema, with this and that. And certain things, yeah, you do. But other things that are super like organic, I think just fucking just let them mm-hmm. do them, you know. 100%. And that's with like the wines and with the spirits, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you that's like a people to be able to taste every single thing in yeah. it. You want you want them to be able to taste every ingredient, and you know you've put so much work into a product. Like why, you know why would not muddy it is the wrong word, but like why make it more difficult to experience the true essence of that product? Yeah, and uh, yeah, so. I'm always trying to fight with bartenders as well. Like, don't bury it with, you know, like three different juices and St. Germain and this and that. Like, let it be, you know? Like, yes, it's a a little bit more of a challenge for you, but like, if you're actually good at your job, then it shouldn't be an issue. And treat it with love and care. Like, our spirits are definitely on the more um, kind of subdued, elegant, like feminine um, uh, side of the spectrum when it comes to flavor, which, you know, bartenders want something like 50%, like it's gonna cut through whatever I add to it. But, but no, like, you know, give it some love. Like, it makes you work for it a bit. And I, mm-hmm. I like that. So thank you for treating it well. <laughs> even, yeah, even the vodka where you're like, oh, vodka, vodka, vodka. No, it tastes delicious by itself. Yeah, it has like, character. Yeah. It, like, has something going on. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> <No. Yeah. laughs> Have you found it challenging being a distiller in a beer town? Um, no. Not necessarily challenging. I think, if anything, San Diego having such um, like deep-rooted craft beer um, heritage is great. It's kind of paved the way for us because mm-hmm. um, craft beer going into a brewery and having like a local, you know, uh, limited edition beer um, is a household notion for pe- most people in San Diego, which is great. So it kind of makes my job easier, mm-hmm. if anything, to um, explain that, like, you know, it's a very similar business model, very similar situation, except for we make, you know, vodka and gin and, and other spirits. We don't make beer. So, um, you know, you do get people that come in the tasting room that maybe like, you know, their friends have dragged them in. It wasn't maybe their idea. Like, oh, can I just get an IPA? And we're like, well, we don't have that. We don't do that. Um, but we have this really cool cocktail that um, uses a hop water and uh, San Diego grapefruit. And, you know, it would, you know, be up your alley in terms of, like, flavor profile. So, yeah. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> good. You should have brought some. <laughs> well, guys, I think we're almost out of time. Um, I really want to thank everybody tremendously for taking the time to be here. It's really, really awesome to sit down with you guys and, and to chat with you. And, and, and thank you so much for sharing. Um, would you guys please share how, if anybody wanted to, to get in touch with you, what the best way for that would be? Or maybe what your, you know, a, an accessible um, social media handle would be for you? Yeah, um, I, mine is just my full name, Laura K. Johnson, K-A-Y. Um, and then you and yours is uh, at you and yours uh, SD. Awesome. Across all platforms, I think. Perfect. Yeah, at Wine and Tammy time. <laughs> Mine's at Claudette Zapata Wilkins. I'm sorry. <laughs> On Instagram is probably the fastest way to get a hold of me. Um, and the El Jardin page is uh, at elhardin.sd. Nice. And mine is Food with Francis. That's E-S, not I-S. 
Awesome. And of course, don't forget to follow Hospitality TV on Facebook and on Instagram um, at Hospitality TV. We do have a iTunes podcast that we're going to upload this to, so make sure to follow us there and subscribe. Thank you again. See you soon. Thank you.